Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Net Worth Podcast, where today we're going to talk about the National Basketball Association, get you a little updated on all things happening in the world of hoops. Joining me, as always, from the other side of the country, it's uh, a little past lunchtime in California. What did you have today, Spread? Some avocados? No, just a rock star. That's it? <laughs> Trying to watch your girlish figure? Oh man, since I've since I've been doing the more sedentary lifestyle, I'm definitely packing on the pounds. So, I'll uh I'll be looking to get back back at it here when the weather gets better. Well, you should have plenty of time because it's the middle of January spread. We we refer to this as the NBA doldrums here. Um, you know, Christmas is over and we've got another month or so before the actual trade deadline. We know that just about every single other podcast you're listening to has been talking about trades for at least 2 weeks now. Well, get excited, folks. The deadline is not until February 6th. we got at least another three weeks of listening to all that um, with very little interest or focus on actual basketball games. What do you think about the month of January spread? Does it make you sad? I mean, I think there's actually good opportunities for us as betters. Um, I know like in our in our group, we've traditionally done pretty well attacking this January. I know that we're kind of having a rough year this year. Um well, not me personally, but I know a lot of us in the group that are using the same methods we used last year to be so successful. So it just shows you how quickly this NBA market changes. And, uh, you know, rather than discuss how Robert Covington would be a good fit on every single contending team, we'll go ahead and see if we can uh, address some of these market inefficiencies. It's true. It, it is, um, it's been a tough year in general, I think, for people that are building models. Kind of a funky season. I wonder as we continue to move through the season or if we have to wait all the way for the season to be over itself to figure out kind of what's changed and what has shifted. But one of the things that I saw this week that was really interesting spread, um, it was a chart that Kirk Oldsbury put up with the top ah. 200 shot locations in the NBA from 2001 and 2002, you know, the peak of some of my NBA watching years as Allen Iverson was at the top of his talents versus 2019 and 20. And if you haven't had a chance to see this, um, go on Twitter. You can find him at Kirk, K-I-R-K, Goldsberry. Um, an absolutely great follow. Builds a bunch of charts and a lot of interesting ways to look at um, shooting and efficiency in the NBA. But this is a wild, wild chart spread. Um, it really speaks to the change in the game when you start to look at the overwhelming increase in frequency of three-pointers and more specifically the absolute loss of the mid-range two-point shot. As you look at the chart on the left from 01 and 02, you see a bunch of those baseline twos, which I like and, and personally is something that is pretty good in my game. Um, and then those mid-range twos just a little outside of the elbow, they are completely gone. It's pretty fascinating. What do you think about this spread? Well, so I think it's interesting and it's so funny. I remember, um, boy, this would have been, <laughs> this would be like late 90s, early 2000s. The NBA great Rick Barry had his own talk show on KMBR, and he was really at the forefront of this. I mean, 10 years before anyone really considered doing this. And he always said, you should be shooting more threes. At 33%, it's the same as 50%, and we all consider 50% to be kind of the mark of a, of a great shooter. Um, so it would be much easier to hit 33% from three. So he's been talking about this for a while. Obviously, it has... Um, you know, it's caught on in the NBA, and it makes sense from a mathematical perspective, analytic analytic perspective. The players are catching on. You know, even the big men are, are learning to shoot threes. And uh, I personally, I don't necessarily think it's that bad or think that the game's changed or got worse in any way. But I think the interesting comeback will be um, one thing. You know, the Warriors are the one, guys that were 
kind of credited with making the style popular and, and being the team that M- every other NBA team began to copycat with their success from three. And as their dynasty continued, they actually were about um, the last year with Durant, they had dropped down to the uh, middle percentage and they said teams are doing better at guarding the three. We're not able to get them open as much. And one thing that Steve Kerr noted was it's easier to defend when the ball goes in the basket, as in, yeah, you're only shooting 33%, but that gives your opponent um, 66% of the times where they can get out in transition, where even though it's only two points for 50%, now the uh, opponents have to take the ball out, you know, from the baseline 50% 50% of the time, and it makes it easier on your defense. So um, just like we're starting to see a resurgence of the run game in the NFL, I'm wondering if uh, we will see a resurgence in the mid-range game um, just because of the way that the uh, missing a lot of three-point shots can just destroy your transition defense. I like that. That's a really great point and something that um, I'm always surprised isn't brought up more often and someone hasn't done a more holistic study of. Um, you know, has offensive rebounding increased? Um, has defensive rebounding into transition increased? Because um, you know there are more rebounds. Are offenses getting a bigger share of those because they're longer? And usually, as a traditional player, when you're starting to box out, a lot of that happens closer to the basket, and you tend to get longer um, rebounds on those three-point misses. Or conversely, to your point, is the defense grabbing those? And because we have more skilled players in the league, does that create? Uh, more offense and you see a little bit of that efficiency fade away what i always wonder is you know what i can actually answer that i can tell you that no they do not because there's been such an emphasis on transition defense that players are now taught when the shot goes up to get back on defense and that um that's why i think that rebounds has become one of the most um in uh, non-indicative stats because so many rebounds are now uncontested. Like we don't see uh, players and teams hitting the offensive glass like we used to. And when you have a player that does like say an Enos Cantor or Steven Adams, sometimes it can wreak havoc because a lot of these teams really aren't used to dealing with uh, their opponents being so aggressive on the offensive glass. Hey, you wonder if at some point you start to see some teams go the other way. I know the current Spurs when they first um, got Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. That was kind of the point to get some mid-range shooters, to get more, to get guys that um, worked in that area because that's not where teams were defending. I think that there is something to be said about making a team defend the entire court. You know, even those mid-range twos, and I, I think that um, you know, players that don't practice that are going to be hurting at some point once we do kind of make that adjustment. Um, but in general, I mean, it's. I, I do think it's a better game. I like watching the NBA more now. There's so much better spacing on the floor. The passing's much better. I do like uh, the general flow of the game. And, I, again, I do wonder it, when when the regression comes. Because I think at some point there's going to start to be a team or two that start to move the other way a little bit. Um, really focus on offensive rebounding. Focus on the mid-range game. Because you have seen teams that are aggressive offensive rebounding teams have some success. I think that Oklahoma City uh, Thunder team that pushed the Warriors to the brink. One of the best things that they did was really attack the basket on the offensive end and attack the glass and try to get as many second shot opportunities as possible. So what do you see in from a future looking perspective? You know, how does the, the league continue to change? Do we see maybe a reversion more to some mid range twos and more offensive rebounding focus, or do we just continue to shoot more and more and more threes and have more and more transition? Uh, right now, I, I don't think that we've got to the point where it's going to turn yet. Um, 
you know, a lot of teams are actually bringing analytics based in. And I saw an interesting argument um, about Kobe Bryant and his low efficiency numbers and the idea that if efficiency had been made more of a big deal back then, that he probably would have been a more efficient player. But a lot of times what he was doing during the regular season, knowing that they were going to win, knowing they're going to the playoffs, is he was working on certain shots or moves that may be low percentage and not very efficient, but he knew those might be the only shots he was able to get once the defensive intensity of the playoffs increased. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it works, but I think we have a while before the full correction comes. I think that it's going to continue to go in the run and gun, pace and space, shoot those threes, uncontested rebounds, transition defense uh, for like three or four more years before a team is really able to uh, – to do it, and you know who's the closest to doing it right now? I'd say is is your 76ers. They're uh, they're one of the biggest teams in the league, and if they made it a, a decision to, I really think they could punish teams on the offensive glass. You're still muted. If you're going to jump in and tell me about your great team, oh well, no, I was I was rolling my eyes verbally mostly. Um, oh, <laughs> that's yeah, funny. Again, I. The Sixers make me sad. I don't think that we'll ever get to see what they're capable of until they have a new leader at the helm. But I think you're right. There is an opportunity there. There is. Um, I think that's one of the reasons, again, Canner is, is someone the Celtics were after. Once it gets to the playoffs, I think they are, are going to really send him after those balls in the offensive glass. But we'll see how it goes. Um, definitely a fascinating time to be in the league. And, you know, talking about some of those older players and how they would have adapted and things like that. I tried to not do too much of that. You know, what would so-and-so have done in today's NBA, shooting all the threes and stuff. Um, it's just too hard to think of. You know, you think that guys that were really good three-point shooters like Reggie Miller, would he be anything in today's NBA? Or is he just another lanky guy who's aggressive oh, on defense and shoots no, a ton of threes? No, he would be huge. He would, he would dominate in today's NBA, I think. I think when when you look at these guys, you know, like Bird or or Miller or some of the sharpshooters from back in the day, I think they would be even more effective in today's NBA. I think maybe with somebody like Bird who has a, a better all around game, that's the case. Somebody like Reggie Miller, I think there's actually more guys that can defend him and chase him around all those screens and deal with that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. So that's what I mean. I think there's a lot of cases to be made both ways about that. Like my favorite player, frankly, to talk about is Shaq. I mean, what would Shaq do in today's game? Would he really be able to dominate? Would he be so yeah, big he would. it wouldn't matter? Who and would think, cover him? Uh, and, and, I mean, what, can you imagine if the Warriors tried to put Draymond Green on him? It would be I amazing. Mean, they really wouldn't have anyone on their roster. Uh, I'm talking about the great team, too. Right. You know, that would be able to stop him. But the thing is, we don't have any players like that. And any players that are approaching that size are now taught to play from the wing, right? I mean, Kevin Durant wouldn't have had the game that he had if he was born in you know, the 70s, right? He would have been a back-to-the-basket, uh, post-up shooter, you know, probably more of an Elijah one-style game. Um, but these big guys, even if you're 6'10", 6'11", now are, are taught to get out on the perimeter and create their own shots off the dribble. And um, I'm not complaining. You know what? I'd rather watch the artistry out on the perimeter than just watch Shaq bully Vladi Divac or those other poor hapless centers that he had to go up against. I think that this is much more exciting now from a spectator's perspective. All right, 
Let's jump into just one more thing. I know before our, our big plan today is start to go through the net ratings for the season versus the last 30, see kind of what the major differences are and talk around that a little bit. But we had the return of Kyrie Irving yesterday spread. He's back. He's playing with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I know we've been pretty pessimistic in general about his, his overall impact to the team, but what are your expectations of the Nets going forward now that Kyrie's back? I mean, does he really make that much of a difference? I mean, do you really think he does? I He's a great scorer, and where he will help is in crunch time because he can get a bucket against any defense anytime. you know, the last two minutes when the game slows down in the half court. But other than that, I mean, is he that much more efficient than the, the shooters that the Nets had out there already? I'm sure that he is, but not the way that he plays the game. Um, you know, if he committed to, I think, kind of keeping his foot off the gas almost for the first three quarters and then really taking over in the fourth, letting the ball get spread around, kind of shooting some open threes and taking the ball when he needs it for the first three quarters, but then going to you know, some of the ISOs, some of the um, pretty crazy dribbling and drive the basket stuff we see in the fourth quarter. But I don't think he is going to do that. I think that he really just changes the dynamic of that offense and that it's his ball. He gets to decide what he's going to do first with it, then it goes to everybody else. I think it it takes a little bit away from the fun team atmosphere that we had with the Nets last year and that we've seen for the last week or so. I mean, those guys really play hard for each other, and I wonder if Kyrie being back on the floor kind of starts to turn everybody a little bit. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And we talked about it. I think we touched on it last week. I think if they were playing well, it would be a weird integration. But with them really having a rough month before he came back, I don't think that there will be the same idea that he's coming in and messing things up because, uh, you know, we're looking at a team who's played very poorly in their last 10 games. Absolutely. All right, Spread, we thought it would be good um, just kind of from a check-in perspective, and this is something that we talk a lot about in our modeling groups, full season versus the last 30 days or, or short period. So you know, a lot of people um, that we know that when they put their models together do look at total season stats, but pick some period of recency, three games, five games. I personally like to look at the last 30 days. How, how do you balance that in your modeling and running your numbers? Um, I basically do, uh, last five and last 10 as the same as the full season. So the combination of last five and last 10 is equal to my full season. So i weighed it pretty heavily, but because my model is so simplistic, if I were to not do that, I would pretty much just come up with the same lines that, uh, the books are putting up and it wouldn't really give me an advantage at all. So what do you do that though? What, what is it that you see in those last five, last 10, numbers why do you like to do that just from a philosophical standpoint oh that's a good question because first of all these rosters and with the injuries that these players received and we've talked about it before and the reasons why and regardless of what the reasons are uh, players are missing more time than ever so what you're getting a better snapshot of is these current players and how well they're playing together. Obviously, you know, something like, you know, the addition of Irving that we just talked about could maybe jettison my last five, and I would definitely take that into account when I'm looking at my current Nets model, like when I'm looking at the numbers that it spit out for me today. Um, but in general, I think that this is uh, almost like tennis where it's uh, it's form. You're looking at the recent form, how well they're playing, and a lot of times it's just how much is the, the current guy that are on the floor uh, are playing well together. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. That's exactly how I look at it. It allows you to isolate, you know, recent play because I think that 
with teams who have certain up and downs in both physical health in kind of roster stability and the way the team is starting to gel and, and put together and the nba is a long 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 season i mean we're in january already is should we really be putting that much weight and that much value and data from the end of october even from november at this point i mean that's that's a long time ago offenses have changed lineups have changed um, team philosophies have changed i'm sure there's even been some players swapped in and out since then so it really for me, when I look at the last 30 days specifically, it gives me an idea of you know what's happened recently. What does the team actually look like in their last few games? And it is a concept that we use from our tennis handicapping. You know, if we we're talking about tennis, we'd be talking about form right now, wouldn't we? Yeah, and I think like two teams that it's a great example on are the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans because, like you said, I mean, uh, you look at the way they're playing right now and the numbers that they're putting up with the current players that they have in their lineup. It's nothing compared to what they were doing at the beginning of the year. And I could even point to two specific reasons. On number one, on the Memphis, John Morant and Jaron Jackson are developing a chemistry that came from playing and struggling and working these three months together. And now it's you can see it on the court. It's starting to come together. It's giving you some of the best highlights. You know, if you're like a league pass junkie or you watch the NBA TV where they round them all up, some of the best highlights you can get. And for the Pelicans case, it was the re-addition of Derek Favors that kind of gave them an anchor on defense because they're not, other than Drew Holiday, and Lonzo Ball's all right. But, you know, they're, they're not the best perimeter team. But with that anchor, um, you know, they look much better defensively. And you can see it in their results, you know, how well they've been playing the last the last uh, 10 games. So, I think it's it's very indicative, and I think that it's very important for your model to to weigh these things correctly. All right, so give me a guess. What do you think the uh, Memphis Grizzlies net rating ranking is for the whole season? Ranking? Yeah. Like probably 23rd? 19. What do you think they are for the last 30 days? 12. Sixth. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I knew they were playing well. I knew they had improved. I mean, have you been watching them with some of these John Morant highlights? They're amazing. What a fun, yeah. fun, fun team. I mean, both of those guys seem to have an endless amount of talent and just a real grit and heart for the game. Um, we know that Memphis, you know, they grit and grind. That's where that came from, and that's the attitude right. of that city. And, I mean, just Morant just barking at people. I mean, he went by – I'm sorry, it was – James Harden last night kind of stepped back and let him shoot a three, hits the three, and is just screaming down the court, tell that mother effer who I am. Tell that mother effer who I am. Like, just yeah. does not care. Is just going after everybody. Is just an absolute killer. And Jaron Jackson is, you know, if you go into NBA 2K and you build a player and you build your own player thing, you probably end up with Jaron Jackson. Um, right. It's just he's huge. He's long. He's fast. He can shoot. He just does everything. And just, I think, has a lot of untapped potential. And as those two continue to play together, they're just going to get better and better and better. And I think you're right. I mean, again, when you look, it's just a stark difference. You know, for the season, they have a net rating of minus 2.1. For the last 30 days, they're 4.9. What a huge, huge change. That 4.9 would put them at sixth, uh, seventh overall for the season if they can maintain that the rest of the way. Um, pretty impressive. Now, the Pelicans... 14th for the last 30 days and 24th for the season, moving from a minus 3.8 for the season 
up to uh, a positive 2.1. So another team that's starting to put it together, and I think injuries have been a big problem for New Orleans. Obviously, you've got Lonzo Ball, but everybody else, Brandon Inger missing a lot of games, Lonzo Ball missing a lot of games, Drew Holiday missing a lot of games, Derek Favors missing a lot of games. Um, but as that team starts to get healthy and fill out their lineup a little bit, they could be pretty good for the rest of the season. How are you starting to handicap Pelicans games? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely I'm a big buyer on the Pelicans right now. I think they're playing great. And one thing, I don't know if you saw this, did you see who is scheduled to make his debut tomorrow night? Was it tomorrow night? I thought there was another couple days. I thought I saw it tomorrow night uh, earlier today, but I was just scrolling through the timeline. I don't have an exact article um, to link you to, but I think I thought it was tomorrow night that he was going to debut on. Sham says next week, January 22nd against San Antonio. Oh, okay. I must have read wrong. No, that's all right. Okay. But regardless, the excitement is there, right? You have a team, and then uh, I don't see how adding him can hurt you. With the injury situation, they're not going to give him a lot of minutes, so it's not like he's going to come in and upset the apple cart or upset the order, um, you know, kind of like Irving's going to do and come over and take over the whole game. Like, he's definitely not going to start. He'll be on a minutes restriction. So I think it'll be uh, help, you know, add some depth to a team that um, – it seems to be doing well, and I think uh, even though he doesn't always play, I think that the leadership of J.J. Redick is kind of underrated. And, um, you know, I know we've talked about him being a defensive liability before, but I think he's great to have in that locker room with that young team to kind of teach them how to be pros. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun group of guys. The only thing I kind of worry about is that we've seen a lot of footage of Zion. It seems like he's put on a little bit of weight during his break, mm-hmm. so we'll see how long it takes him to play himself. Did you see the shape. footage of his between the, between the legs dunk, though? Yeah, that was pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost at a standstill. Uh, yeah. Jump up between the legs, kind of half spin dunk. It was pretty fantastic. I wonder also what it does to the chemistry of the team. Brandon Ingram has really been the primary ball, ball handler, scorer of the basketball, if you will, when they get down to the offensive end of the floor. I wonder what trying to incorporate Zion to that team does to that chemistry a little bit. I really don't think it's going to hurt that much. You know, R.J. Barrett was the primary ball handler at Duke, and they still managed to – to work pretty well. I, th- I can imagine them in kind of in the same idea with Ingram running most of it, but just having Zion as an extra outlet as they're setting up the plays. So uh, he doesn't seem to me to be a guy that's a ball stopper or, you know, a black hole, like AKA like Carmelo Anthony or, or some of these other shooters that we kind of uh, complain about being ball stoppers. So I really think he's going to fit in well, but you got to remember I've been on team Zion since day one. So this will be one that we get to revisit as a podcast a lot. Another team on the rise, the Spurs of San Antonio. They were the 15th net-rated team for the season at minus .9. Where do you think they are for the last 30 days spread? Mm, 10th? Up to 8th at 4.1. Yeah, and didn't they turn around like the second we wrote them off on the podcast when we said, oh, we were finally wrong, like this team isn't going to make the playoffs, and now they're back, and I don't know for sure, but I know that they're right around the eighth seed now and um, looking to keep this playoff run going. What have you seen from them to turn it around? Because obviously um, not much has really happened on as a roster, and it's not like they're a young team that, you know, like the, the uh, Grizzlies where, wow, okay, they're developing now. They're getting better, you know, they're – starting to play together better. They're getting used to the pace of the NBA. I, I'm really surprised at the Spurs turnaround. What have you seen? 
uh, it looks like Popovich is starting to have some time to get creative. I think he's had some time to look at his players, evaluate, and see what they're doing. Um, Marcus Aldridge's role the last couple weeks has changed quite a bit. They're using him a lot more in a pick-and-pop method, but picking and popping the three-point line as opposed to those long twos. So I think that they're starting to um, retool their offense a little bit um, to generate some better looks. But there has been some stability. A lot of their guards have been hurt for most of the year. Either Derek White, um, or I can't think, or DeWante Murray have been kind of nicked up all year, and I think that they finally had some stability there. I think that helps quite a bit. Um, now it comes down to Popovich at the end of the day. When I watch that team the last couple of weeks, it just looks different. What they're doing offensively, the way that the floor is spaced out, is starting to look better, and it's starting to look like Spurs basketball. Yeah, and you know what? I kind of feel silly for us writing him off, and you know, it's like we should have known better. Um, but to be fair to us, from what we saw from those first couple months, it did seem like uh, it was the end of the road. But he's really turned that team around, and he's done it without – say, you know, the development or the ascension of some young player that is just playing uh, ridiculously better than he was to start the season. You know, he's just kind of got them playing better as a team. And um, the other thing I might say is the West might not be as deep as we thought during our uh, <laughs> during our preseason pods, eh? Um, No, not at all. We thought that the fight for the 8th seed would be kind of tough, but it seems to be like a, a last survivor here. Yeah, and as as um as much as we bag on the East, uh, I think that there is be a little restoration of balance here um, between both teams. I think that we have a a pretty legitimate top six on each side, and then uh, kind of a crapshoot. And I'd say the only differences between the conferences is, is still the West. The bottom of the West is stronger than the bottom of the East, but I I think that we're starting to get a more even uh, conferences. And I think that's great for the NBA. All right, looking at some of the teams with downward trajectory here, um, not too many big movers. It looks like the biggest mover would be my Philadelphia 76ers. Um, for the season, they're t- ranked 12th at 3.1. The last 30 days, they're down to 19th at minus 2.5. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with Embiid missing um, more games these last couple weeks. And just in, in general, the team's struggling to figure out who they are and and kind of do anything new or creative as teams around them start to get more creative, um, start to see a lot more of that zone defense that Miami used to some success and, and not too many solutions from a Sixer standpoint. So how are you handicapping my Philadelphia 76ers spread? I, you know what? And is this kind of weird? I think they, to me, they remind me of how the Warriors were after they blew uh, the 73-9 and nine season where they're just like, the regular season doesn't matter at all. Right. And and we would see nights where they would turn it on. We would see nights where they wouldn't play until the third quarter and we'd see nights where they didn't care altogether. And I kind of see the Sixers doing the same thing. Um, I think they're really hard to handicap in that matter. The great thing about a Sixers handicap is you can still pretty much take them at home and feel pretty good about placing that wager. Um, but on the road, they're a complete crapshoot. It's it's so hard to figure out what they are night in and night out. And I think you're right. They're a team that thinks of themselves as being able to put it all together at the end of the season. So I'll cross my fingers and hope that's the case. And I know that you're upset because you're a fan, but but you can't stay on point. No one, no team ever, you know, except for maybe the 96 pulls stays on stayed on point uh, from opening night all the way until until June. So. Um, as bleak as things seem now, there might be uh, uh, some method to the madness there. 
I just like to see him to put together two, three solid weeks. I can't think of any stretch of this season so far where for two, three weeks it was like, oh, they're trying hard, they're playing aggressively, they're playing good basketball. This is nice. It's just yeah. up and down. And, and I think and that comes from uh, you know it comes from the top. I think that Embiid's the definite alpha of that team, and he's kind of got in his mind that all he cares about is being healthy for the playoffs. And I really think that he believes that the reason that they lost to the Raptors and that the reason they're not the NBA champions is because he wasn't healthy enough at the end of the year. And uh, to be fair, he might be right. So I think, uh, you know, as it comes down to with most NBA seasons, how they perform in April and May will dictate whether or not this was a good decision by the team. The Miami Heat um, positive net rating of 3.4 for the season, but the Heat have cooled down here. Last 30 days, only a net rating of 0.2. They're down towards the middle of the NBA. What have you seen change with Miami spread? Uh, when Drogic was out, they basically missed that Lou Williams uh, scoring punch off the bench that allowed them to extend their leads or maybe grab leads when they weren't playing well in those crucial uh, see, and you know what's funny is they're more crucial for spread betters like us that are actually, you know, playing against the number and not just to win. But, you know, those minutes from three minutes to go in the first quarter to about six minutes to go in the second where the reserves and that's when the mix and match and the coaching really comes in. And Drogic and Hero were, a lot, were really dominating those. Uh, I think now they're starting to miss the depth of Winslow. And I, but I really think that Drogic not being able to extend those leads during uh, the reserve minutes is the reason that they're uh, they're not doing as well as they were. So, you know, we talked about health before, but for them to make a run, they're going to need him to be healthy for the playoffs. A similar move, the Pacers of Indiana. Um, it's funny, actually, the Heat are 10th and the Pacers are 11th overall. And then you look at the last 30 days, Pacers 15th, Heat 16th. Um, pretty much a similar move. What have you seen change from the Pacers? Are you worried about them at all? I think they've really establish themselves as a contender in the East. We know they're going to get Oladipo back. If Oladipo can come back to his star potential and the guy that can get you, you know, like Kyrie Irvin talked about earlier, um, those buckets in the last two minutes when the game slows down, when everything has to be done in the half court, you know, when there's little to no transition opportunities, who are you going to go to? When he provides that answer, uh, they're going to be fantastic. And I know this is an odd thing to say because they play together for so long already, but it seems like Sabonis and Turner have really fleshed out their roles pretty well and that they're doing better on the court. It doesn't seem like they're clogging up. They're doing a, they seem to have a better idea of who's going to be down low and who's going to be outside on each particular possession and um, also attacking on the switch. So if Turner gets the center, he'll bring him out. If Sabonis gets the center, he'll bring him out, you know, and let the other guy work down low against the smaller guy. And um, their shooting has been great. Uh, TJ Warren has been a fairly good pickup. I think Brogdon plays pretty well for them when they're not hurt. And this is just a, a solid basketball team that gives you a good effort every night. And another team that I really like to back at home. Another team making a move down. We th and we thought this would happen. The Phoenix Suns for the season, a net rating of minus one. Last 30 days, minus five. Um, have the Suns just come back to earth? Yeah, you know what? I think that um, they're not as good as we thought, and I think they got off to a great start. And they're still not really that, that good a team. They're not really that well-constructed. I think that DeAndre Ayton, even though he's the number one pick, really has a lot of flaws for today's game and you know maybe we can do a whole podcast of this later but uh the, to me the idea of picking um centers now with your top five nba picks is going to be 
you know, the same idea of picking running backs in the first round for the NFL. I just, uh, the wing is so much more important now. Um, you know, I think that they're kind of, it's tough to build a team, right, you know, around a big man unless he's, you know, an ultimate player like, you know, Joel Embiid when he's when he's at his strength. But nowadays you want to build around the wing, and most teams are led by, you know, a six foot eight small forward who can do it all. Um, and that's the one thing that they're kind of missing. Devin Booker is great, and he's a six foot seven scorer, but he can't necessarily do it all yet. I think Rubio runs the team really well, but um, you know, obviously he's relying on others to make him look good because if his if his teammates' shots aren't falling, uh, it doesn't really matter if he's he's creating open shots for him. And um, they've had a little problems with depth. I think that Baines is huge to them, but it gives them an issue now that Aiton's back. Um, they don't really fit on the floor together, so you have you have to balance. We need to develop Aiton, but Baines is actually giving us better minutes. So I think that it's very tough for the coach over there. I think he's done a great job. I still think that they're better than I th- thought they were at preseason, so I'm not ready to write them off. I'm not necessarily too anxious uh, to bet against them unless they're on the road for these road trips I think that there should be some good advantageous spots we can find there but they've become a team that can defend their court pretty home court pretty well but not necessarily as good as they looked at the beginning of the year all right one last team that's a big mover and we're actually back to a positive direction here I missed this on the first um, go around what, what do you think the Utah Jazz net rating rank is for the season Mm, eighth dead on eighth very good thread what do you think it is for the last 30 days third number one they're tied same net rating as the milwaukee bucks they must just be a little bit better uh nba.com only goes out to one decimal place here but um for the season you're looking at a net rating of 4.2 for the last 30 days an absolutely spectacular net rating of 10.8 um so michael conley's the worst player in the nba is that what we've learned um, I mean, <laughs> what do you ascribe that change to? I think that obviously he was hurting the team, and I think that um, just like basketball, most you know, you want the ball in your best player's hands at the most time, and he was taking, you know, shots and opportunities away from Mitchell, and I think the team looks better with Mitchell running the show. Uh, the other advantage they get is it puts Ingles back in the starting lineup, right? So now with you have Mitchell running the show who can beat you, get to the rim, uh, alley-oops to go bare, but you can get that good one guy in the middle, four guys on the outside, and those four guys are lethal because um, Mitchell and Bogdanovich both require you to basically stick to them like glue, even if they're a couple feet behind uh, the three-point line. So um, I think putting angles in with Mitchell is actually working better than Conley next to Mitchell. Now, why do you think that? Is it um, just because Mitchell, it gives us a clear hierarchy of whose ball it is? Or is yeah. it, you know, Ingles is just, you know, a higher, little bit Just basically higher pleasure. usage and more space. Yeah. Yeah, higher usage and then more space during that usage because I think that teams were sagging off Conley, right? He was shooting like, what, less than 30% from three? So, you know, I'm not an NBA coach, but I would have told my players to sag off him, get to the middle, you know, prevent – prevent people from getting to the rim and if the shot that we give up is a Conley three-pointer we'll live with that every day and um boy (laughs) it is going to be interesting right because he put up a lot of those good numbers on a not very good Memphis team where there weren't a lot of other options so now that he's really on a contender let's see how much he really has to contribute 
All right, Spread, that was just about everything that I had. I know it's a shorter pod than we're used to, but it is the doldrums. We'll see. Hopefully yeah. we'll have a little more fascinating week. We did give you guys a pod just like four or five days ago, so, you know, try right. to relax, folks. Anything yeah, no, else? I think it's good for us to check in, you know, just uh, keep on out there. They're really, as far as, unless you're gambling, who's paying attention to the regular season right now, right? I don't see one article. I don't see, I mean, okay, one. I mean, but I don't see very many articles about the game. It's almost like it's becoming the regional sport like baseball where the only people paying attention to the games are the people in that city. You know, like Oklahoma City fans are watching their games. Indiana fans are watching their games and talking about their games. But you don't see a lot of national talk about any games that don't involve the Lakers or the Clippers. Um, so, I mean, I could complain about that from a fan's perspective. But what I'm choosing to do is from a gambler's perspective, hey, there's really not a lot of attention on these. The market might not be as sharp as it will be in the playoffs when everybody's paying attention and actually looking at the matchups and, and what's going on and I know that uh, some of us struggled. I've done very, very well in NBA so far this year. And actually, I attribute a lot of that to just all the noise surrounding NBA media where, um, unlike the NFL or even our other favorite sport to bet tennis, there's just not as much good, solid information out there. And it's more like philosophy and speculation of uh, who's going where and, and, and who's doing this. And I mean, like I couldn't believe it when I turned on and the number one thing on, on one of the pods that I listened to was the KD Kendrick Perkins Twitter beef. That was what they led their podcast with. And I'm just like, I mean, cool. I mean, I understand the sales. I understand this is what it's going for. But as far as giving betters actionable information, it's just not out there. It's actually becoming really hard to find. So hopefully we could provide some of that for you. And, um, you know, send us a note. If you guys want to hear us wax and wane about potential trades, I mean, we can easily do it, right? I mean, are we missing our market here? Let us know. Give us some feedback. But uh, otherwise, great pod. Always fun checking in with you. And uh, we look forward to doing it next week. All right, everybody. Like Spread said, be sure to reach out to us at NetworthPod on Twitter. We'd appreciate a follow. And we'd love a rating or review on whatever app you're using. We appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll have the Australian Open podcast for the WTA fans coming out. Um, I guess is maybe Friday morning, maybe Friday night. We'll see what everyone's schedules looks like. But we got the draw coming out tomorrow. Spread. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Good luck in all your wagers. <laughs>